Warning, this podcast contains foul language, dark invocations, and treating women like their people. Welcome friends to our first ever Void Mini. We've been trying to think about ways to say thank you to everyone who's gotten involved with the show. And we thought it might be fun to do a little bit of extra void philosophizing on the side during these off weeks until we get to the point where we're doing once a show, uh, once a week. So this time I thought we would do a chat about philosophy. And uh, GW has indulged me. How you doing, G-dubs? I'm doing great, man. So this first one's going to go out to everybody. And then probably future void minis will be patron-only content. Um, so... Today, I wanted to talk to you, G-Dubs, about something that I've been thinking a lot about recently, an issue that I think a lot of people are feeling the pinch on on both sides of the aisle, and it's uh, it's what's called the problem of demandingness in morality. Yeah. Can you can you help me understand, like, what what is that? Yeah. So, the problem of demandingness was uh, an objection that was famously raised against the utilitarians and consequentialists, which means people like Peter Singer who say... You have to do whatever maximizes the good, whatever produces the most good for the most number of people versus, you know, worrying about your own interests and the interests of your family or something like that. And then I think this problem can indeed sort of generalize to all ethical views where it's just a general problem of morality once fully understood in our modern world just feels so oppressively demanding and like we can never live up to it. So is it does it have to do with how a person has an internal conflict on whether to do what is morally correct or right when it's within when it's in conflict with sort of their own self-preservation as an example? Yeah, that can often be a situation in which it comes up. Uh, so often it'll feel like the individual, the more they understand their moral obligations, the more and more they're driven away from doing things that might benefit their own self-interest towards doing things that uh, are beneficial to others and are self-sacrificing. Though it can also be situations where it doesn't harm the individual, but even still they feel like they're never really able to like hit that point where they feel like they're actually being a good person. Do you know what I sort of mean? We're like, um, so let me give an example. Um, this is one that I've been thinking about talking to some of my conservative friends who've tried to express to me the issues that they have with dealing with the PC liberal word police movement right. issues. They, the most reasonable way they've put it, the steeliest steel man that they've come up with for me is, uh, something that I think I, I understand, which is there are good, honest people in the world who want to be good people and they don't want to be hurtful towards others and they don't want to insult others, but they really struggle to keep up with the changes that have happened. A lot of changes that have happened recently in our society and they keep up, they struggle to keep up with the language and where before in previous generations, I think keeping up with the transitioning of language was, you know, an oddity and, and a difference between people, but it wasn't considered a moral failing in today's age, not knowing, you know, what gender pronoun to use and this sort of thing, they, they feel an anxiety about acting morally, even if, you know, they're not being 
forced into conflict and there are not, you know, there are, there aren't regular situations for them where they are doing the wrong thing. They still feel like society is telling them that they are bad people because they're not keeping up with this stuff. Right. And it's interesting. I, I think from a perspective of someone who is not in a very largely populated area, that it is understandable that if you don't sort of interact with uh, a certain group of people, whatever that means, it can be understandable that because of their lack of exposure, uh, they could uh, not, you know, miss the boat on the correct way to address someone, as a for instance. Uh, but I think there's there's two sides to this coin. One, there's the side that is that their fear is in some regards irrational, that mm-hmm. that they're afraid that if they say him when they should have said her, uh, that they're going to be uh, demified. But also, at the same time, you do see some uh, liberal outrage kind of things where people do do exactly the thing they're afraid of. Uh, and they sort of get glorified by things like Fox News, which uh, sort of justifies their fear. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I, I think this this feeling comes less from actual situations for a lot of these people where they are put into awkward involvement with um, things they don't fully understand and more like they are told via various media sources that these sorts of conflicts are happening all around them and they're anxious that they're going to be put into that situation at any moment. And at that continuous low level anxiety that accompanies this feeling of overly demanding morality. Right. And it's, it's their sort of like, they want this safe space, even though they hate the term safe space. Like I, I want to share sort of a personal uh, uh, instance. The, the first time I was, uh, I encountered someone who's who was transgender, uh, and from I didn't know that word at when I encountered this person the first time, uh, and I'm going to tell you exactly how I handled it, uh, and you were privy to part of it, and it was uh, the camp that we worked at. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there was a camper whose name was Collins, mm-hmm. and uh, everyone addressed him as a him. Yeah, and Collins is a really uh, good friend of mine. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I didn't know Collins. The I wasn't there the previous couple of summers, mm-hmm. so uh, the first day that Collins arrived, Collins was a, a CTA. Uh, was a, oh my god, I'm forgetting the, the CIT uh, counselor. Yeah, CIT counselor in training. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and after the first day, I I was confused. I didn't I didn't ever interact with Collins, and I went to Sam, who's essentially my boss. I was like, Hey, Sam, I have a question, and I hope it's not an insensitive one. Uh, Collins, people are referring to him as, him as a him, but appears to me to be uh, a, a her. And I just want to make sure I, 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 I'm clear. And I hope that that's not uh-huh. a, a terrible thing. And he was like, no, it's a totally appropriate question to ask. Collins uh, prefers to be called a him. Uh, a her name used to be blah. And, and I, I honestly don't remember. And I was like, great. And that was the end of it. And I always referred to Collins as him, and he was great, uh, as you know, um, without a doubt. Uh, but that that's all it took for me was I was confronted with something new that I had never been encountered with. Yep. Uh, and I asked an innocent question and was given a great answer and was like, great. 
Yeah, I have mixed experiences with it, to be honest. I have a lot of good experiences and then a couple of bad ones where uh, I have situations on the internet sometimes where I, I'm doing doing my best, trying to understand, trying to be the ally. And, um, you know, I just don't have enough information in a particular situation. And so I post something that, it, you know, it turns out is not fully all the way towards where you want things to be. I posted a thing about a... a ramp that had been built into a staircase so that yeah i saw it it looked gorgeous. And it looked gorgeous and it seemed like a really great you know idea towards trying to incorporate things more naturally and um there were some responses where it was like that's still not accessible it needs a handrail that sort of thing and i totally get that and i think uh something good that we can all work on is in those situations seeing the part of the person who is trying to make that that offer make that connection and say that's great let's take that intention and add those handrails or something like that and i think yeah there, there's that concept in theater of yes and right the yes right, and. which is mm-hmm. where where it's, it's it's a whole improv kind of thing where someone provides context or information or character or whatever and you build upon it yep so i i 100 agree with you it's it's one of the things i always ask myself is what is the intent, right? Sometimes you have a person who mm-hmm. is accused of uh, being racist, for instance. Right. Uh, and, uh, or being accused of being a misogynist or something like that. And the first question I want to ask myself uh, to try to be objective is, is this person being an asshole in this situation with this person? And in the past, they've been like this to other women as well and, and unequally to men. Uh, or are they just an asshole to everyone equally all the time, right? Now, I think in most cases, uh, it's probably racism and it's probably uh, um, sexism. But it's still, I still want to not have that quick liberal outrage tick when I don't think about and consider all perspectives uh, uh, in any instance. Yeah, this is where I think philosophies of empathy can help help us a lot with the situation where we can really understand that everyone is i think not everyone but a lot of people are really trying to make the effort the majority of people are trying to make the effort and we have to sort of as hard as it's been and as uncomfortable as things have been we have to renew our efforts to try to communicate with that and i i, I don't want to talk just all about the right i think the left also is dealing with this issue a lot because Whereas the right, a lot of people on the right can sort of say, you know, adopt a somewhat tribalistic view that allows them to limit their moral responsibility to a more localized region. People on the left generally feel a moral commitment to a much more broader utilitarian humanistic worldview that really does put a pretty high demand on what, what, what they need to be doing in their day-to-day lives. Can you give an example? Well, yeah, so the original Singer stuff was like, the reality is you need to be substantially donating large portions of your income to people who could really benefit from that in in various other situations, uh, stuff like that. I think now in the modern age, it's things like, I want to support every single artist that I get art from, but I don't make enough of an income to support every single artist that I get art from in ways that are functional and so that that feels like a a constant sort of tension to me 
but I don't want to be cut off from that art. So I do appreciate when there are alternatives, you know, non-financial situations in which to support that art. And the hope is that as my income increases, my ability to support that art increases, but it's always like, you know, there's just a fundamental scarcity of resources for every single individual in terms of time and money that they can commit to all of these genuinely good causes. What do you think is the source of that sort of demanding, uh, uh, that demandingness? Like why, why should we care? Or no, like no, more of like, mm-hmm. it, like why do you think society has this sort of high demand on morality? I think just because humans, because we're conscious beings and we suffer and there's a lot of suffering to go around and, not a lot of it is being resolved easily by society or by functional systems. And so it's falling to individuals more and more heavily to pick up the slack as the systems don't provide for basic, you know, human suffering. That's, that's, that's how it sort of feels like to me, like at the same time that we've had this explosion of information about how, how much suffering there is and how interconnected everything is. We are, simultaneously being forced to bear more and more of the the tax burden and the financial burdens and all of the different kinds of burdens where if resources were allocated more effectively, maybe there would be less burdens and that would be easier to deal with. But instead we're seeing, I think, a lot of widespread existential crisis as people try to figure out how to do the right thing in a world that isn't giving you that option. Yeah. I mean, things like single payer are a clear way that we could have like we could reduce suffering yep. and uh, uh, is morally the right thing to do, objectively and financially the right thing to do. Uh, it still baffles me that we still are opposing that as an idea. Yeah, and not only opposing it, we're like just moving in the wrong direction. We're in the GoFundMe, like the, the GoFundMe version <laughs> of health insurance. Yeah, seriously, like <laughs> I can't believe that that's the thing. Yeah. Uh, and that's the, again, like that's what I mean. That's a great example of like, because the systems are failing, it falls to human beings to chip in together to keep people from dying. Like, not even to chip in together to create art or to do, you know, beautiful things, but just to have the basic necessities. And it's, um, and so I want to, I think the, the hope here was not just to become hugely depressing about this, but to also talk about ways that individuals can engage in various forms of self-care and how to deal with this issue in order to not feel like they're constantly crippled by guilt and anxiety about not doing enough. Yeah. So, so what do you think is the way that we can combat this sort of demanding morality? So, I mean, I think there, there are sort of a couple of different possible things that can help. I don't have a perfect solution, of course. Um, and I'm, I hope that listeners who are feeling this issue will reach out with ways that they also have that work for them, uh, various forms of self-care. I think one place to start is to be more honest with ourselves. Just like information growth is making us more aware of the problems, it's also making us more aware that we as individuals can't fix them. That we were raised, and and, you know, maybe all human beings are, but certainly I felt my generation was raised on this idea that there were going to be a bunch of fixable problems and that what we've experienced as a reality is, um, you know, 
the world is based on resources being allocated a certain way and there are vested interests in those resources remaining allocated those ways and individuals without vast amounts of resources are going to have a hard time changing those rules against people who have vast amounts of resources. Yeah. I sort of have this like hope in my heart that as our generation, which essentially grew up on video games, and we've all like played games where you had to like build a city and there's finite resources, that those people will get to elected office and will realize that there are finite resources on the planet and we're going to deplete them all. And there's no like secret code you can type in to get new resources. Yeah, and maybe we will see a pushback as the next generation sort of takes over where we, we sort of have a step back away from this idea that we can be isolationist and amass resources in some sort of, you know, colonialist kind of way again. And right. Or maybe we just need to construct additional pylons. <laughs> oh God, never enough fucking energy, man. Need more energy. Yeah. So uh, what do you feel like? What do you, what helps you? Do you feel like you express, you, you would deal with this problem that I'm sort of harping on here? I do sometimes feel it, but I guess because I've always been someone who looks at things from other people's perspectives, sometimes to a fault, that I'm always I'm always trying to like think about like, oh, it's very similar to a conversation we had before about mm -hmm. free will. That, you know, although in my mind I wasn't thinking of it in terms of free will, it's sort of a similar thing of like, well, maybe this person hasn't ever been exposed to X. And that's why they're sort of saying these things that are uh, uh, morally wrong mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, and in terms of me personally, I try the best I can to sort of, as I get new information, to reevaluate my own sort of opinions. Uh, I'm a firm... <laughs> Uh, it's this is, seems like an inherent contradiction, but I'm a firm believer in not having beliefs where a belief is something that can't sure. be changed. Uh, uh, and that in and of itself, right, is a contradiction. But uh, I firmly believe that uh, a belief can't be changed and that I try to uh, bring into question any perspective I have on anything. You know, at the, there was a point in time where I was wrong about not understanding uh, the transgender perspective and... Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but I quickly resolved it, right? I didn't understand this, and I asked in order to have more understanding, and then I understood it, and it was fine. And I even now have a, a transgender student who, uh, when sort of going around the room, I first said him, and and she quickly corrected me and said her. And I said, oh, I'm, I apologize, her. And then later when we were in public, I went to her and I said, hey, I'm really sorry I wasn't aware. Um, uh, uh, I apologize for for. Uh, messing that up and she was like yeah no big deal yeah and so i think that's a great sort of case study and how we can make our lives all easier for each other with this demandingness of morality at the same time we, we we don't have to give up right we don't have to feel like oh god this is all so terrible so i'm gonna do the the milo thing and just make fun of trans people until they go away yeah but instead what we can do is say we're, we're genuinely going to have empathy for all of these different situations and understand both the people who, who want these preferences and also the people who are having a hard time remembering to say those sorts of things. And we're all going to sort of work together on stuff like that. And I think that that can, that can make things a little more manageable. Like I hope that anyone who is sort of afraid of the PC police sort of coming after them, uh, 
I hope that they realize that in most cases, if you say or do something and someone then confronts you with a, oh, that's incorrect, that uh, it's not going to be this horrible situation, right? Someone's not going to get up and slap you or something, and someone isn't going to cry out for your, like, uh, uh, dismemberment, that uh, right. it could be an honest mistake you made and try to understand it from their perspective. Like, if if I could change anything about the void, it would be to give people, to force people to be able to think about other people's perspectives. Mm-hmm. That that in and of itself would change things for the better. Yeah, and so I uh, I guess the the moral of this mini is we want people to use empathy to remember that everyone feels morality as a little overwhelmingly demanding, and that life feels like it is asking just a little bit too much of everyone. And at the same time, you know, we we want to encourage each other to do everything they can, and then if they can, try a little bit more. Right. But also let themselves off the hook and recognize that they need to let other people off the hook too a little bit, and at the same time... And sometimes people need to just accept that Logan is a terrible movie. Yeah, we're not getting into that on this one. We're saving that for the main episode. You're going to be wrong about that, but you're going to be wrong about it later. (laughs) Fuck you. I'm just morally correct, that's all. No, there's there there's objective moral truths and there are objective artistic truths and the fact that Logan is a brilliant fucking movie. Look, just because you get hell. like a half staff every time you see Hugh Jackman doesn't constitute it a good movie. But we'll just leave that as a little teaser. He's so pretty. <laughs> I mean, he is pretty. Like, don't get me wrong. He's a very pretty man. Remember The Fountain? Oh, yeah, I hated that movie. <laughs> oh, I love that movie. <laughs> See, you're wrong about everything. <laughs> I'm like, we should, we should start like a Logan Awful Movies where, oh, where you, you and I watch any movie that Hugh Jackman has been in and we, we are always on the opposite end of one of us is saying it's the best movie and the other person is saying it's a terrible movie. Right, real quick, Les Mis. I loved it. Okay, I haven't seen it because I assume it's terrible because it's Les Mis. Oh, it's... Um, it's amazing mostly because of the audio stuff and how they work, they sing live. It adds so much more. And if you compare it to something like Beauty and the Beast, it's like, it's streets ahead. Sure. I mean, I assume it's better than Beauty and the Beast because my understanding is that Beauty and the Beast is CGI poo. <laughs> booty and the Beast. <laughs> booty. It's Booty and the Beast. It's Booty, Booty, Booty. Oh, my God. All day long.